0: Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. It is again good to be with you this morning. We are getting close to, we're not quite there, to the end of our summer series. We've been slowly kind of walking through the book of Genesis, kind of highlighting some key moments that we see throughout that. Um, If you do have your Bibles or your digital device, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 25. That's where we're going to be today. Melissa and I, we recently, May 30th, actually celebrated 20 years of marriage, um, which that should be worth clapping for. So um, just, just... putting you on the spot. But we, uh, we, we celebrated that. And in that, you know, you find yourself kind of looking backwards and over the different memories, the different experiences. Um, our wedding was unique to put it, to say the least. So we got married May 30th in the Phoenix metro area. And uh, it was hot. Like when I say hot, it actually, the day we got married, the actual air temperature was 114 degrees. Um, which meant when we did our pictures outside at the local golf course at 3:30 in the afternoon, I sweat more than you could ever imagine. Now here you need to understand. I was from northern Indiana. I hadn't lived in Phoenix, and so all of a sudden I'm outside in 114 degrees actual air temperature. I'm dying. Um, we got married about 5:30 that evening. We had a beautiful setup outside, reception planned for all the guests, just to be able to hang out, um, just right outside on the lawn of the church that we got married at. In the middle of the wedding ceremony, and this never happens um, in the Phoenix Metro this time of year, we had a massive dust storm that blew in. I mean, like movie-esque dust storm came in, and so literally the officiant, at the very end of the wedding, turned to all the guys and said, we need your help. We need to clear out all the chairs, and we need people to run outside and roll in tables and set up the reception really quick right here. And uh, that's just what we had to do. Um, It was so hectic and so crazy. We got to leaving the ceremony and realized both Melissa and I, we cut the cake, but we never actually got to eat our own wedding cake because of all the the chaos and stuff that that surrounded. Um, We were poor. We were broke. I was a young youth pastor making peanuts. And uh, our honeymoon, we went from Mesa getting married to Scottsdale, Arizona, and that's where we honeymooned, Um, partly because I had somebody in my church back in Indiana that gifted us a timeshare in Scottsdale, and that became the place that we stayed. Well, it's about a 45-minute drive from where we got married to go to where our honeymoon place was, and we didn't get out in good time, so it's late at night, and both of us look at us, and we go, we didn't have cake, we're starving, so we ran to Jack in the Box, um, there isn't a Jack in the Box here in Florida, but some of you may know what Jack in the Box is. Um, it's, it's Hardee's. I don't know how else to describe it. It's not a great place, but that's where we went. And uh, we got Jack in the Box, and then like, we we're like, we need a few things that we want to put in and around that we can just kind of munch on during the week as, as well. And so we ran to the local grocery store, and we're walking through the grocery store. And you know when you're hungry, that's the bad time to go grocery shopping. And we both looked at each other, we're in the bakery, and we saw, at this time, like one of our favorite cookies. It's those sugar cookies with the frosting on top that are super soft, you know what I'm talking about? Um, And we're like, oh yeah, we got to get some of those. And they had two options. They had, you know, one of those little kind of cases that has like a dozen maybe cookies in it, and then they had the family platter size that was like this big. And I'm like, well, we're getting that. You know, like the, we're gonna we got a free place. like if we're gonna spend food money, we're gonna spend it on food. And so we went and we got the family platter of sugar cookies. And I'll tell you what, we ate the whole thing that week. and I regretted every moment of it. Um, I overindulged. I don't know how else to put it. I, I'm sure you've had those moments in your life where you go it, it was too much of a good thing. Twenty years later, when I see one of those cookies, I'm still going, I don't think I can eat one. Um, like it, it affected me that much. Um, we have to learn how to control our cravings. We have to learn how to control our appetites. We've all been in these moments of life where we pay the price. We find ourselves in a place of life going, I shouldn't have done that, right? I shouldn't have given in. I shouldn't have indulged myself so much. That craving took me further than I ever wanted to go what's exactly kind of what we're going to see begin to play out in the story that we're going to take a look at today in Genesis chapter 25. And so I want to give you the big idea of kind of where we're going before we actually open up and take a look at the passage. The big idea simply is this today, control your appetite or it will control you. Control your appetite or it's going to control you. What we're going to read in in Genesis chapter 25 is really a, a story of caution. It's a warning to you, it's a warning to me of what happens in life, where we can find ourselves if we allow our cravings, if we allow our appetite to actually become the thing that controls the direction of our lives. It leads us into a place, ultimately, that we find ourselves going, I didn't want to be here, how did I get here? Now, there's all kinds of different appetites that we wrestle with in life. And for instance, I'm going to put up a few of these here on the screen for those that are taking notes. These are the different types of appetites that we all wrestle with. One is the draw, the craving for progress. We want to get better. We want to experience more things. And so that desire for progress, the desire to experience new things can carry us away. The second is what I would call responsibility. It's this craving, like I got to do everything I want to do because it really leads us into the third point, because I, I want other people to respect me. And so I'm going to carry through, I'm going to do all the tasks. I'm not going to miss any details because ultimately I want people to notice my performance. I want them to notice what I was able to accomplish. And so therefore, I can earn their respect. And so we have this craving, we have this appetite Driven by responsibility because we want to earn our respect of other people in our lives. We have the appetite of success. What doors may open for me? What experiences will lend itself to me if I have great success? And because we want other people to view us in a good light, we drive so hard for success, and as a result, we will give up so much just to taste success. Comfort. Comfort is the next one. Some of us, we're just driven because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. And so we orientate our lives all around how can I obtain more comfort in my life. I don't want to be put out. I don't want to do something that's challenging. I don't want to suffer and so we do everything that we possibly can to avoid any type of, any, any kind of view of suffering in our lives. Possessions. I need, I need more. I need a better phone. I need a better car. I need a faster car. I need a bigger truck so I can pull more things. Are you going to tow more? No. But you never know when I might need it, right? And so we always are driven by this idea of possession. Fame achievement, because if I can achieve a certain level, then other people will want to be like me. And so we have this desire to be envied by others. Appetite, craving, something we all wrestle with. You may have looked at that list and go, yeah, three, four, five, yeah, I'm dealing with that right now but the reality is in some shape or form, all of those we find ourselves from time to time wrestling with, dealing with. How do we make sense of these appetites? How how do we begin to understand this? And here, this will give us a little bit of framework for what we're going to read in, in Genesis 25. First of all, God created them, but sin destroyed them. And so t- sin that has come into our lives has distorted that drive. It's distorted that craving, and it's led us to crave the wrong things in our life. God created it with a desire to drive us towards Him, that He would be our main craving, that He would be the main thing that we desire, the appetite that drives our lives. I just, God, I need more of you. But the reality is, because of sin, is. It's destroyed that. It's led us down a different road. And as a result, we fill that gap with so many other things besides God Himself. The reality is our appetites are something that are never actually satisfied. I remember some of you probably can do this. I remember it very, very vividly the first time I got to go eat at a Brazilian steakhouse. I had heard rumors, and I was like, I gotta go do this. Like I I I mean, 50 bucks, I can eat all you can eat steak. Like, I'm going to make sure they lose money. Like, that was my whole perspective, you know? And so I, I'm, I'm fasting during the day. I'm filling my stomach up with water because I'm going to make sure they lose money on me. And, and they have, if you've never been, they have this little card that you place on the side of the table, green. It's like, keep it coming, you know? And they just keep coming. Steak, steak, circuit. Would you like this cut? Yes. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not turning it to red. Like, I'm going to go as long as I can. And man, they just lining up. You know, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm just eating and eating and eating. And I finally, I remember getting to that moment. like, man, I don't know if I can do anymore. Or at least I'm going to slow down. Like, they don't have a time limit on when you have to leave the restaurant. So I'm like, man, I can sit here another hour and I can probably put down more. Flip it to red, turn back to green. Flip it to red, turn to green. Finally, I'm done. Like, the meat sweats start kicking in. Some of you know exactly what I'm dealing with. And I'm like, "Uh, I'm done. But how long does that last? By the time I got home, I'm looking for leftovers, right? Like, Like there's something, our appetite is something that's never satisfied. We always want more. And the challenge with our appetite is the way our appetites work, we want it now versus later. We want it now. We want to fulfill that desire. We want to take care of that craving right now versus putting it off to something later. It is what I want us to understand, what we're about to read in Genesis 25. This is so easy for any of us in the room. This message that we're going to go through is so easy for us to dismiss it. And we sit there and go, you know what? My struggles aren't as glaring as somebody else's struggle. It's not as heavy as what somebody else may be dealing with. And so we may just dismiss this conversation. We may dismiss the message of this morning. We have to learn to be intentional in controlling our appetites. Because if we are not, the right situation, the right circumstances will lead us and will allow us It will allow our appetites to actually take control of the moment. And you will find it leads you to places that you never wanted to go. And it can even remove the destiny of God's calling on your life. Let's take a look at this to kind of recap where we're going. You have the story of of two boys, their brothers, their twins, Jacob and Esau. They are sons of Isaac. We talked about Isaac last week and being the son of Abraham. So Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. And the description that you get of Esau when he was born and growing up is he is the ugliest baby that's ever been born on the face of the earth. Okay? Not a pretty baby based on the descriptions that you see in the Bible. But what you see is Jacob is born holding on to Esau's ankles. He's holding on to his foot as is born. And there was a prophecy that is prophesied about these two boys that were going to be born. And that Jacob would desire to actually kind of rule over his brother. And that was a kind of a sign of that when he was coming out of the womb holding on to his, his brother. Esau, again, he's the older brother. And Esau grows up to what we would describe in our terms today he's a man's man. So he's flannel-wearing, he is a hunter-gatherer, he's an outdoorsman. Jacob, the younger brother, the best way I could describe him is he's a mama's boy. He's kind of a whiner, and he enjoyed just being with mom. He didn't want to go out, he didn't want to do things, he didn't want to exert himself. If you know that it's very interesting, in the biblical times, the oldest son was known to be the one that had the birthright. In order, in, in other words, when you had the birthright, it meant that you actually attained double the inheritance. And so he, his right, being the firstborn, even though they were twins, he would actually receive, at the time of his father's death, a double portion of his inheritance. Not only that, he would be seen as the, the ruler of the family. He would be the one that takes over the estate. There was an enormous amount of power And prestige that was appointed to him just because of his birth order and being born first. And so the Jacob, the younger brother, he was jealous of that. And so the way the story plays out is that one day Esau, he's out. He's doing what Esau does. Maybe he's on a hunting trip. We don't actually know. But he comes home and he's famished he's hungry. And mama's boy Jacob, he's in the kitchen, he's making soup. And in that moment, Jacob tricks his older brother in actually giving him his birthright. Here's how the story actually plays out in Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to start reading in verse 29. So go ahead and open to your Bibles, verse 29. He says, when, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, well, I am about to die, so what use is my birthright to me? Let me just pause right there. Esau's a little dramatic here, all right? He's hungry, sure. Is he really going to die most likely no. We've all been in those moments. We've all watched our kids play out that moment, right? I'm starving. I'm going to die. That's where Esau is right now, all right? But his judgment is so clouded by what he's feeling, he doesn't even realize the depth of what the decision that he's choosing to make in this moment. Esau says, I'm about to die. So what of use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now, So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. It's not even a good stew, right? So he sells his birthright, but for a mediocre stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What we see right here demonstrates two things. Not fully moral with Jacob. Like, Jacob's decision here is like, come on, dude. Totally takes advantage, not necessarily the most moral thing to do in that moment. But it also demonstrates a lack of care for the birthright and inheritance on Esau's part. Esau, the older brother, does something that we would all say. We read this story and we go, that is just incredibly foolish. How in the world could anyone be so dumb so short-sighted, so foolish. Because what he does is he trades his birthright, the ultimate for the immediate, a simple, mediocre bowl of stew. And what do we do? Like you and I, we, we look at that and say, who would do something so foolish? How in the world could you do that? How could you trade something that was worth so much for something so small? And here's the answer. Friends, normal people do it all the time. All the time. Every single day. Every day, every day, every day. People are dumb enough to trade the ultimate for the immediate. in a distorted desire at that. I promise you, every single one of you in the room, you know of someone who has completely derailed their life because they chose in a moment to follow a desire, a craving, an appetite that went unchecked and unmanaged. And as a result, they did something incredibly dumb and stupid. So here's the question that you and I, we all need to wrestle with this morning as we read and we kind of process the story. What is your bowl of stew? What is your bowl of stew? We are not immune to giving in to our cravings and our appetites. I see it all the time. People in their marriages, people even outside of marriage, instead of committing to love, they settle for lust. They lack real commitment. And so they don't want to enter into a covenant because they choose to follow the convenience. People will give up their purity for things to be popular. We've given up authentic relationships or a false narrative that plays out on social media. How many likes, how many follows can I find in this? We sell out our spiritual growth. What it means for you for us to truly be a disciple of Jesus. We sell out because we don't want to commit to a long road of obedience. Walking in the same direction And so we move away from that, and we begin to adopt a lifestyle, a philosophy, well, I'm going to do what works for me now. And as a result, we put our relationship with God on the back burner. We say, well, that's really not as important as we want to claim it to be, and so we we allow the God of what is important now to be the driver for our lives. Here's what we need to begin to process and understand. Satan has been using our appetites to ruin our lives and other people's lives from the very, very beginning. Remember where we started with the story of Adam and Eve and the creation? Adam and Eve gave up everything for a lie. Believing the fact, well, God, maybe God's holding out something from us. When he said, you know what, don't touch, don't eat of that tree, Stay away from that fruit. It's not going to be good for you. Just, You have all of this beauty, all of this paradise. It's untainted. They had a perfect relationship with one another, a perfect relationship with their creator. It could not get any better. The weather wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. They didn't need clothes. But somewhere along the line, they began to believe a lie and they began to follow the craving versus following who God is and what God wanted for their lives. What's your bowl of stew? What's that thing in your life? It's mesmerizing that you want more of. And maybe it's I can move this a little bit here, and then maybe I can pursue it a little bit more. Friends, be careful. Be careful. Here's a few ways that the enemy, how Satan uses our appetites against us. The first thing is this he has a tendency to crank up the volume of our appetite. I mean, again, how many times have we felt it? How many times have we seen it in other people's lives? our own kids play out, I'm starving. I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to die. And it's like if we miss a snack, right? Like I, it's hard for me sometimes to go from 12 o'clock to five o'clock. I, I need something at 2.30 and I get hangry. Like when I get to 2.30 and nobody wants to be around me and so I need something now. And we just don't want to submit, we don't want to even suffer just even a little bit for that next two hours to get to our meal. Some of you are incredibly disciplined and you've got your life down to maybe eating two meals and that's it a day. Good for you. I'm not that guy, okay? I like to eat and I like to eat now. And what we see is The enemy has a way of cranking up the volume of our appetite. We begin to pay attention to those sounds around us. And the reality is that's the culture we live in. We're seeing it play out all around us. The volume is being cranked up to a point we pay more attention to the volume than we do to our values. Don't fall trapped to paying attention to the music and the volume just because it's louder that you give up the values that have guided your life. The fact is, because you feel it doesn't mean that you should do it. We see in Scripture, it talked about our own feelings. Our heart is deceptive above all else, meaning you cannot always trust your emotions. We need things in place that help us, guide us, and keep us true to who God has called us to be. That's why you need a steady diet of this. Begin to pursue God. Read his word. Apply it. Memorize it. Sit on it. Meditate on it. Allow it to marinate your brain so it begins to change who you are. The second way that the enemy has a tendency of keeping our appetite driving us in our decisions is he has a way of sending a postcard from our past. The enemy loves to send a postcard from the past, and it'll look really pretty. It'll look glossy. It'll even stand out in the mail. And at first you go, man, that was so nice. It's not a movie. It doesn't give you a picture of the whole thing, right? It's just a highlight. And what you don't see in the postcard are the chains, the way that sin enslaves you. Be careful of falling trap for the pretty picture. The third way is he will tell you something as stupid is actually smart. How many times have you looked back on a decision and thought, how was I so dumb? How did I fall trap for that? Bill Murray, the comedian, he says, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is that you're just dumb and you make bad decisions. That's actually very theologically true. Don't fall for that trap. We're reminded in the epistles, I'm going to read you a couple things here. In 1 John 2, verse 15, it says this. John, best friend of Jesus, wrote this to the church, and he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is in of the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is reminding us, don't allow the, the prettiness of what seems to exist out there to be the thing that lures you away from who God is and what God has called you to do. There are so many things in our life that we can crave that aren't actually good for us. Be careful. Be on guard. Set up things in your life, disciplines that help keep you on track. And then the interesting thing is in, at the end, or in the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews actually alludes to the exact story that we just read in Genesis of Jacob and Esau. He says this in verse 15 in Hebrews chapter 12. It's going to come up here on the screen. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails." to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root or bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son of a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. The author of Hebrews, what he's trying to help us understand is, guys, as a follower of Jesus, you are now seen as the firstborn son. You are have the right to an incredible inheritance. And what he's saying is: don't lose sight, don't give up, stay focused, walk the road of obedience. The cost is too high. Don't neglect who you are in God for this thing. Don't pursue this craving. Don't get lost in this appetite. In other words, coming back to our big idea, control your appetite or your appetite will control you. Pursue the heart of Jesus. Pursue what he wants for your life. And the great news is this. He bridged the gap. He showed up on the scene. He showed up in the form of a child and he walked a perfect life so that you and i can have hope we don't have to be caught up in just the lies of this world the pursuit of our cravings and our appetites but there is a choice that we now have to pursue him to pursue his heart and experience his goodness his blessing his purpose for our lives and so together this morning we're going to take some time as as followers of jesus just to take communion together If you missed the communion elements when you came in, this would be a time they're sitting here on this high top table. I want to encourage you to go over there and, and grab that. What you find here is not anything magical. There's nothing mystical that takes place, but this is a time for us to just be reminded of the power of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And so for those that are part of the church; those that have given their life to Jesus is a time for us to just sit back and to reflect. For those that maybe you're here and you would self-identify yourself as going, you know what? I, I've never actually said yes to Jesus, but you're on a spiritual journey. First of all, I want you to know. First of all, we're so glad you're here. We we plan for it. We pray for you, and I would I would hate to ask you to do something that means nothing to you. And so I would just ask that where you were at, instead of actually taking part of the cracker and the cup this morning, that you would just would you have the courage to just say, God, would you just show me who you are? Music is going to play. We're just going to sit here for a moment. I just want you to give you a little bit of space just to pray, to process, to think about the truth of the cross, what was accomplished for us when Jesus chose to die for you and I to cover our sins. And in just a moment, we're going to partake of this together. Just take a moment and connect with the heart of God this morning. The Apostle Paul records this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me in taking of the cracker? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you join me? Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for loving us enough to come into our world, into our mess. And so we turn to you. Turn to you and just thank you again for your grace and for your love, for new opportunity, for new life. Fill us, guide us. We pray in your wonderful name.